Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Getting a seat, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. That's where we're going to be today. Um, as Bree shared in the confession there, I hope... Um, that this week has been one that has been very reflective for you, um, especially in light of our Easter uh, service that we had last Sunday and uh, the songs that we sang and the prayers that were prayed and the exhortations that were given, um, the message that was preached. Uh, I hope we've had a week to be able to kind of sit in that and just continue to um, contemplate that good news. I would also uh, encourage you next year, Uh, to following the week of Easter, do what we did and just go sit on a beach for about five days. Um, Because it it just, it it also is just kind of, again, like the the mess, it's it's finished, it's done. Um, It's so easy to kind of jump into this this big kind of overarching message and say, okay, now what do I do with that? What do I, how do I use that to leverage that and, and fix people and fix situations and, and build a church and all of those things? But um, it was actually really timely for us to, uh, to be able to kind of coming off of Easter and having to bring chairs in here and, and kind of having that um, Easter bump, as they call it, um, to be able to, to have a week where we're not immediately running to strategizing and planning and and figuring out how do we capitalize on that. Um, There was none of that this week. Um, I literally finished writing this sermon this morning because I didn't do anything this week um, except sit and just reflect and just take some time to rest, Um, to be with, we, we were with about 170 other church um, planters and their wives um, down in Naples, Florida, and just hear stories about um, both the highs and lows, what they're going through in, in ministry, and then be able to kind of have our mornings. Um, Scotty Smith, who's a pastor in Franklin, Tennessee, came and just kind of shared with us his heart, um, not again in strategy and how to grow a church fast. He's He's been successful in doing that, where within seven years, they went from five couples to 4,000 people. Um, But at the same time, he said when they hit 4,000 people, he had this huge burnout um, because he was being a professional and he wasn't actually believing what it was that he was proclaiming. And so he just kind of talked with us about like what that looks like to just be wrecked by the actual gospel um, in your life. And so it was just really refreshing for us just to kind of continue to sit back and just think about Jesus saying it's finished, Jesus saying it's done. Um, that we're not here today to continue to sharpen our tools, but we're just here to receive, to receive grace at a deeper level in the gospel as we continue to just see it fleshed out, as we see the power of the resurrection continue to change and transform lives as we're walking through this book called Acts. And so let's just receive more of that today. Let's just continue to receive just the glory that Christ has accomplished in his life, his death, his resurrection, and that he is imparting to us, that he's giving to us, that he's gracing us with every single day for our good and for his glory, that it is actually changing things within our lives, um, that this isn't, you know, there was 
kind of as I talked about last week, there, there isn't like this old Dwayne that has just been sprinkled with Jesus and now it's just kind of still that same Dwayne. Like, no, there's, there's transformation truly happening. Um, there is the possession-loving and praise-loving Dwayne that is being denied and put to death. And there is an identity in Christ, Dwayne, that is coming to life and that is becoming more like Jesus every single day as I sit and as I do nothing but receive the grace of God through the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I hope for that for us today um, as we see this story that um, for a lot of us might not be a story that we just immediately connect with. Um, we're, we're kind of in a part right now in the book of Acts where the gospel is being planted in a town called Philippi, um, and we're seeing some conversions happen. And so to kind of to catch you up um, just where we're at in Acts, um, the, the gospel, as we saw last week, the gospel was birthed in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus spent about 40 days with his disciples, eating, drinking with them, proving to them that, I, that he is resurrected. And then he ascends to heaven, and right before he ascends to heaven, we kind of get that Acts 1-8 um, just commission that he gives to them. You're, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and, and in receiving power, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So it's kind of the mission of God to go out and just bear witness which witness means you didn't do anything. You just experienced it. You saw it. It happened to you. Um, God is, is doing that through us. We are bearing witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ to those who were not there. And so that is going out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. So the first nine, ten chapters is just in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. This is the spread of the gospel happening. And then the gospel begins to kind of shift from there as we see the first uh, persecution and martyr of Stephen um, when he is killed for proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They hate him for it. They murder him because of it. The church is then scattered outside of Jerusalem and begins to push into the areas of Judea, Samaria, and then ultimately into um, Antioch where we see the center of operations of Christianity begin to shift from Jerusalem to Antioch and then from Antioch in Acts chapter 13 we see the gospel then begin to push out into what we're calling the uttermost or the ends of the earth so that Acts 1-8 strategy if you will um, is now kind of hitting the last part of it, the ends of the earth. And so it's the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And so Paul and Barnabas were sent out from Antioch to go on their first missionary journey. They go out, they preach the gospel, they get the gospel to Macedonia, as Waylon shared a few weeks ago. And then they come back to Antioch to kind of give word um, for, for what God was doing. And then as they come back, they kind of have again, like, can God do this type of counsel? And they say, yes, God can do this. So then they go out again to continue sharing and preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And so this is their second missionary journey. And they come to this town of Philippi. And as Waylon and Alex shared in two different messages, Waylon kind of shared the 30,000 foot view high of how they ended up getting to these places through closed doors and open doors. And God's always orchestrating the move and advancement of his gospel. And we're just saying, yes, um, we'll go there. And no, we won't go there because you don't want us to go there. And so we're just, again, just responding to the work of the gospel. God knows what he wants to do. 
knows where he wants to go, knows where he wants to push back darkness, and is just grabbing us and employing us into his mission. And by God's grace, he, he involves us in it. And so we are, we are joyful recipients of God's grace by being a part of the mission that he has called us to. And then from the 30,000 feet foot view, we then brought it down to what does it look like on the ground level? And individually, as the gospel is now permeating within Philippi, what does that look like? And so there's three um, specific characters that the Bible talks about uh, that the church in Philippi was really built upon. Um, this was kind of the, the core group, if you will, um, of the planting of the church in Philippi. And it's three people. There was um, Lydia, who is a wealthy, white-collar um, lady who, who um, kind of ran her own businesses in purple fabrics, which are basically clothes for the wealthy and royal. So think um, fashion mall within our current context. Um, it, it, she's the one owning that and selling it to, to those who are wealthy. And so it's, 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 that's kind of where the gospel first, we meet Lydia, and it converts her. And then today, as we'll talk, we'll, we'll see a slave girl. Um, and I don't say this insensitively, but she's kind of more of a dog collar kind of person. I mean, she is a slave. She is not only enslaved um, to people, but she is enslaved to a demonic oppression over her for the spirit and gifting of divination, where she is literally fortune-telling to people. So there's this huge business around the, this idea of oracles within the Roman Empire. And so anytime governors were about to go into battle, they would seek out an oracle to kind of come and tell them what's about to happen, like tell me whether or not I'm going to survive this. And so it was very wealthy to have somebody with this spirit of divination, this spirit Spirit of Python, it actually kind of refers to as this idea that you can actually tell our fortune. You can tell what is going to ultimately happen to us. And so this is kind of this dog-collar girl who is enslaved into this life. And then next week we'll see um, a blue-collar Philippian jailer um, come to know the Lord. And so the planting of this church is really based on kind of the spectrum of socioeconomic status. You've got the wealthy, you've got the impoverished, and you've got the kind of middle-class Philippian jailer here. And so I love the fact that um, the, the gospel, the Bible, pulls out the fact that the gospel is for everyone. Um, that the gospel is for those who have a heartbeat, and it doesn't matter how successful and wealthy or impoverished and enslaved you might be, the gospel is for you, and the gospel is going to change and transform your life. And you are going to be used by God to continue to spread his name among the nations. So that brings us to today, this, this demon-possessed slave girl. And looking at her story and how the gospel impacts her. So Acts chapter 16, picking it up in verse 16. He says, as we were going to the place of prayer... This is the same place uh, where they met Lydia and preached the gospel to her. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us. And it's just also important to mention here that it's not just Paul, Silas, and Timothy at this point. But Luke has joined them as well as you start to see his own first person eyewitness to these events. Crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. 
And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. All right, so let's do just a little bit of work here. We have a slave girl. Slavery is common Um, In the Roman Empire, there were estimated 60 million slaves during this time period um, within the Roman Empire. But this slave girl is just no ordinary slave. She's literally enslaved in three different ways, as I kind of mentioned. She's enslaved by her masters. She's enslaved to this demonic possession. And she's also enslaved to sin. And so we're seeing the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ in what he has the authority to overcome and to reverse or to destroy, to be able to ultimately free. This little girl stands in absolute contrast to Lydia. Where Lydia is Asian, this girl is Greek. Where Lydia is in control and intellect, this girl is impoverished, enslaved, and exploited. Where Lydia is a seeker for salvation, this little girl mockingly proclaims the way of salvation. Of course, she's doing it perhaps unwittingly, under demonic control, but she believes that salvation is available the same way the demons do. I mean, there's other areas within Scripture that you can see when they're preaching and proclaiming, the demons actually speak some beautiful Christology. They know Christ. They know that He's the Son of God. They actually utter those words. And similarly here, This woman, possessed by a demon, is actually walking around saying, these these men are servants of the Most High God who possess the ability to be able to share salvation. This is what she's proclaiming. When Paul and Lydia meet in the context of a formal, orderly group meeting, Paul and the slave girl meet as she follows the missionaries around, screaming her head off. She's very disruptive, as in control as Lydia is. This girl is out of control. Now watch how God goes after her. Paul doesn't turn around and say, Hey, I'm I'm doing an institute uh, coming up and on crazy, and I just want you to come and participate in that and and just kind of learn from us. Or I would like for you to come um, because I think you you have this spirit of divination and so I want to kind of give you the the theology around demons and evil possession and I want to kind of share that with you first before you come to know Christ like Paul's not doing this he doesn't appeal to her reason she's irrational instead in an act of Holy Spirit power he just rebukes and exercises the spirit that rules her and enslaves her on the inside In an instant, she finds the salvation she's been demonically mocking. The contrast between these two Philippian conversions is startling and instructive for us. With Lydia, the gospel gets at her heart when Paul ultimately engages her intellect. So this is a means for also just kind of sharpening our evangelism. Knowing the person in which we are sharing the gospel with. With the slave girl, the gospel gets at her heart when Paul engages her spiritually. In both instances, the Holy Spirit grants new birth and repentance, of course, but the deliverance of the gospel takes on the context of the personal need that they are in. Lydia needed someone to be able to get to her heart via her intellect. She's at at what would be considered a women's Bible study when they meet her. And Paul engages in that area, in that arena. This little girl is literally in the process 
of demonic possession and ultimately going after Paul, mocking him through this spirit that is within her. And he doesn't necessarily talk to her, but just engages the spirit within her to bring the gospel to her by freeing her from this demonic possession. In an instant, she finds the salvation that she's been demonically mocking. Three ways this little girl is freed from slavery. Number one, she's freed from her masters. Look at verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Their hope of gain was gone. This little girl was their business, essentially. She was their business. She was their livelihood. If she's no longer performing her business, they no longer have need of her. This, of course, so frustrates these slave owners that they bring Paul and Silas to the magistrates, which are the governors within this Roman city, in verses 20 through 24. And being Jew is literally kind of what, what they talk about, as you see here. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they're disturbing this city. Being Jews, not majority anymore in this context. Being Jewish within Jerusalem, you would have rights. You would have opportunity for fair trial. You would have the ability to be able to, to stand on that fact, and you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Well, in this scene now, because they are Jews, or predominantly within a Greek culture, they're representing the minority, and they're having no rights. And so it's kind of a, a mockingly thing to do by just referring to them as Jews. It's saying we don't have to go through our own Roman customs and traditions when it comes to, to law and, and trial. We can rather just do what we want to do with them. And that's exactly what they do. They ultimately end up imprisoning them because of what they are doing with this girl and what they are freeing her of. But she's freed from her masters because they have no need of her anymore. What she, the, the ability that she has to actually fortune tell is gone. And so she's freed from them. The second thing we see is that she's freed from her spirit of divination, fortune telling. For it wasn't her intrinsic gift to tell people their fortunes, but rather the demonic spirit within her who is using its power through her to deceive people, to oppress her and to sinfully provide gain for her slave owners. Through the proclamation from Paul to this girl in the name of Jesus Christ, she is no longer oppressed. She's no longer oppressed, but she's freed from any sort of evil and demonic oppression. It kind of reminds me of this story um, that I heard from David Platt. He, I think he included it in his book, Radical. Um, when he was in seminary down in New Orleans, he used to go down to the French Quarter uh, where they would have a lot of fortune tellers kind of setting up their own tables. And you would come and you would pay um, a fortune teller to be able to lay out tarot cards or whatever they want to use um, to then kind of lay out for you, this is what your next year is going to look like, five years, ten years, this is what marriage is going to look like for you, or maybe not, or children. And, and, they would just, and they would make a lot of money doing this. And so David Platt would actually go and he would set up a table and he would say, I will tell you your future for free. Um, and so people would actually sit down in front of them and he would just share the gospel with them. Um, and so he, he would literally say like, um, okay, here's some things like, um, 
have you ever lied before? And they'll be like, yeah, we've lied. Have you ever like lusted before? And they'd be like, yeah. And he's like, well, your future doesn't look good. <laughs> um, and then he would just begin to kind of explain to them why it doesn't look good and why it's sinful that they do these things. And he's like, but I can actually make the future better by sharing with you the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that would take away all of those sins and no longer would you have a bleak future. And I just love that because it's actually people coming to this trade of fortune telling, hoping that it's going to benefit them, but rather it actually is just deception. It's just deceiving them. This spirit of divination, this spirit of the python, as it says, is, is this idea of something that is coming from the serpent of old, Satan, evil, and death, that is never going to be for your good. It's never going to be for your fortune. It's never going to be for your own gain, but rather is always going to lead to your own destruction. And she's freed from this. She's freed from this oppression that the business that I'm conducting is actually deceiving people, deceiving them. And the third one is that she's freed from sin. The collars which bound her as a slave to people a slave to the demonic realm, and a slave to sin are gone. They're broken, they're destroyed. She's free. She's totally free. Paul's declared the gospel to this girl. He's freed her from Satan's bondage and is chaining him up, as it says in Revelation 20, verse 3. This girl is experiencing for the first time who she truly is. She's only known of herself in the identity of a slave to people, a slave to a demon, and a slave to sin. She's now starting to see through the gospel lens that she wasn't designed to be someone else's slave. She wasn't designed to be a fortune teller. She wasn't designed to sin through deceiving people. She was designed to be a daughter of God, not a slave of people. She was designed to be a gospel teller, not a fortune teller. She was designed to glorify God by loving people and not deceiving them. She's now running from witchcraft and sorcery of the evil and demonic realm. If she has resources in any of these areas, maybe she has a library of books at her master's house on what it looks like to actually fortune tell or kind of master that craft. Maybe she's bringing those resources, as it says in in the planting of the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, verses 18 through 20, this is what happens within that city. Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is what she's experiencing in her own heart is I've been not only enslaved to but operating out of the wealth of these books and this knowledge in this realm that I've got to now literally destroy all of that stuff. The possession loving of those things, the praise loving of those things, the purpose loving of those things are no longer my identity. I say no to those things. I deny those things. I deny myself in those things. I put it to death. And I am now raised as a child of God. I'm raised as a gospel teller rather than a fortune teller. 
I'm raised as a daughter of his, loved by him. I remember hearing a story one time about a man who owned a collection of vintage pornography. I don't even know entirely sure what that means. Um, but the man came to know Christ and asked his pastor uh, what he should do with the collection. Was it okay to sell it? Um, and he was like, no, no, you can't sell your vintage pornography. You're just then enabling someone else to continue in the same thing that you just were freed from. Like, you have to destroy it. And he's like, but it's worth X amount. You have to destroy it. You have to burn it. I've known people who had addiction to alcohol. When you have an addiction to alcohol, you don't put a wet bar in your home. You don't get a wine cellar. You need a prayer room. If you're addicted to too much Netflix, you need to cancel your submission, your subscription, and submission to it. Until you've grown in your freedom in Christ to be able to steward your freedoms in a healthier manner. This is what this woman is finally being able to experience is total freedom. And here's the thing, I've actually titled this message A Tale of Two Slave Owners. She's technically still a slave. It's just a much different slave owner. We are always going to be enslaved. It's the way we were designed. We're created worshipers. There's always going to be an object in which we are enslaved to that we are going to worship. Her ownership has transferred from these people, from the demonic realm, from evil and sin, to Christ. He's purchased her as we celebrated last week through his life, his death, his resurrection, through the shedding of his blood, through the breaking of his body. He has purchased her. The ransom has been paid for her to now be a child of God and in return receiving the inheritance that we also talked about last week. This is all hers. And the enslavement to this is different. The scriptures actually talk about it in the sense of a bondservant. I, th there is a willingness within us because of what we've received in the gospel, because of what we've received in seeing Jesus for who he truly is, becoming our greatest treasure, there is now a longing within us, a desire within us to want to be his slaves, to want to give ourselves over to his service, to want to be literally dictated in our lives by what God deems best for us. To be able to look to his scriptures and to be able to see within his scriptures, this is the design, this is the order, this is what he's laid out for sex, this is what he's laid out for marriage, this is what he's laid out for work, this is what he's laid out for parenting, this is what he's laid out for loving one another, serving one another, encouraging one another. There's ways in which God wants us to do those things and has called us to obedience to those things for our good, for his joy. For our, for, for our good and joy, for His glory. And those things we actually want to do. Because we are enslaved to Christ. We are enslaved to God. Through His purchase of us. I would much rather be a slave to Christ than I would a slave to this world. A slave to my old flesh. A slave to sin. What's the cost of bringing 
this enslaved girl to freedom. The cost was then actually the enslavement of Paul and Silas. So this is one of those things to kind of mention because you, you see within this passage this, this girl literally having her life turned upside down and entering into total freedom. Entering into, we'll just call it her, her best life now at this point. But also at the expense of those evangelizing her and sharing the gospel with her then beginning to physically get enslaved to the powers of, of this city and to this government. As it says, as they are now, the shackles that are being broken on her spiritually are beginning to physically shackle them. But what did we share last week? In Easter, in Matthew chapter 16, he who loses his life for my sake will save it. Paul and Silas, seeing the freedom of the gospel, are so willing to preach and proclaim this freedom that they're willing and able to have all of their physical freedoms be stripped from them. Countless times after another. How many times is Paul imprisoned? Peter imprisoned. I mean, the first two sermons that Peter preached in Acts 2 and 3, what's happening to him? He's literally getting arrested off stage. I mean, like when we started this church and we started Sunday morning services, like those first couple of services, I wasn't getting arrested off stage. It'd been kind of cool, but like it's what didn't happen. Because I can like see Peter like as he's literally being handcuffed off stage, like yelling out to the people, who wants this? Which you're like, dude, you just got arrested. I don't know if I want that or not. But like, but he's saying, like, we want Jesus regardless of what happens to us physically in this world. And he so wants them to know Jesus that he's willing to be stripped of his, his own freedoms. He's willing to sacrifice himself. Paul's willing to sacrifice his own freedoms to be all things to all people. So you start to hear him say language like to the Jews I became like a Jew and to the Greeks I became like a Greek. To those under law I became under law although I know I'm not under law. And to those who were lawless I became lawless although I didn't break the law of Christ. Like he, he's walking into this area that I'm willing to enter into the context of these people that I want to share the gospel with, knowing that I'm going to be sacrificing some of my own context, my own privilege, my own resources. And so the question for us when we look at this is we're actually not that different from this little slave girl when it comes to the things that are actually enslaving us on a daily and weekly basis. Even for those of us who are in Christ. For those of us who are in Christ, there's, there's a list of things that we can say, are we elevating this good thing to become a God thing for us? Are we elevating this one thing that we have the freedom to steward and enjoy well, but has it become something that we are now idolizing? To where if we didn't have it, it's actually a problem for us. It changes our mood, it changes our joy, it changes 
our time. It changes our resources. It affects our money and our bank accounts. It, it literally affects our lives whether we have it or not have it. Well, this is what's happening. Do we respond like these slave owners when their business goes away? Do we get furious? Do we get frustrated? Do we want to lash out? What is it in our lives that we're still wrestling with, with our flesh on a daily basis, that we're wanting to elevate above its rightful position? And I don't know what that might be for you. For some, that could be as simple as like, hey, I spend too much time on Instagram and it robs me of my time. But man, I really want to just be on it because I need to, like FOMO, I'm like, I'm fear of missing out on what people are doing and, and, and being able to like every little thing that they have or, or validating them or like wh- whatever it is. Like I, I've got to see it all through the lens of Instagram. I've got to live through that lens. And so it's funny, like I didn't even know Instagram had this until like two weeks ago where I was like searching within their settings to try to figure something out where it was like, it'll actually tell you how long you've been on it. And so I was like, all right, well, let me just like do like a little 30-minute check. So like whenever I've been on Instagram within a day for 30 minutes, like it sends me a notification. And there was like some point two weeks ago, it was like 10.30 in the morning, 30 minutes. And I was like, holy, like already? Like I don't even feel like I was even on it that long. But apparently I'm addicted to Instagram because at 10.30 in the morning, I'm an Instagramaholic. And so like that's, that's what was happening for me. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to keep it at this 30-minute thing and we're going to try to stretch that so I don't get that notification until the evening. But like there's things within our lives that I wish we could put those types of, of reminders or notifications to see where we're at. I mean, let's just take alcohol. Let's take that taboo thing. It's real easy for me to talk about it in the South because people are like, it's the devil's poison and it's not. And then like, but here it's like, it's a lot freer and there's a lot more area for us to kind of, kind of be loose with it, I'll just say. We can call it party with purity or we can kind of say, we're a little tipsy, but we're not drunk or this and that. But at the end of the day, I'm not going into like those specifics. But are we using language in the sense of like, I need a drink. I need a drink. I'm not saying don't enjoy a drink. I had a drink on the flight home. Don't tell our SBC people, but like, or on the flight down there, like first mimosa I've ever had. They're good. <laughs> but at the same time, like, there, there wasn't, like, this incessant, like, I need to have it. I was just curious. It's okay. But at the same time, if it were to get to a place where it was like, man, I just had a really, really hard day. I really need to unwind. I really need this. Well, that's different. That's different. That's an enslavement. And that's something for caution. You need a notification to pop up. To be able to tell you, we need to think about this. Instead of going down to the wine cellar, let's go to the prayer room. I don't know if you have wine cellars. I don't know what they call them. Not a wine drinker, apparently. <laughs> but those are things that we need to think about. When it comes to money, are we like constant? Like, like is, there, is there on both sides of it, the constantly checking the bank account to make sure that we're at the, the spot that we need to be, that we're incrementally growing by 1% every single day? Like, like, 
are we there? Or at the same time, are you in complete fear of the bank account that you never look at it? Both of those are still controlling your life. Is there a healthy stewardship when it comes to what we're, what the, the, the things that we are called within our life that are given to us as gifts by God to be able to utilize as resources to flourish? How are we stewarding these things? And are we actually finding freedom? And what I've found, and I'm getting more, more and more validation with the more older pastors that I continue to meet. But Scotty Smith, for example, saying that he grew from five couples to, to 4,000 people in a span of seven years. Right when he hit that seventh year, he was 50 years old at this point. He said he had his greatest burnout. At the peak of their success, at the peak of their financial stability, at the peak of their children being mature and growing and multiplying themselves, at the peak of them sending out other churches to plant churches, at the peak of all of that, he found himself having conversations with his wife where his wife said, I don't think I know you. I don't think I know you. And then her at the same time as he shared this week having conversations saying, this is coming from her, I'm going to get healthy. And it's up to you whether I get healthy with you or without you. That's hard to hear. And at this point, they've been married for 30-something years. Like there are things that are easy for us to get entangled in and enslaved in in the midst of wealth or poverty. That's why I love the fact that we have these stories of Lydia, of a demon-possessed slave girl, and as we'll see next week, a Philippian jailer who's probably not thinking about any of this stuff because he's just in the middle. It's so important for us to think about it because at the end of the day, what do we treasure? What has our heart? What has our heart? Is our heart just producing idols that we just love more and more and more? Or is our heart seeing Jesus and we're treasuring him? And because we treasure him, we're seeing him. And then when you see Christ and through Christ, you see money and you see sex and you see resources and you see career and you see children and you see marriage and you see singleness and you see, you see all the things within life. You begin to see those things rightly. Because you see them through Christ. Are we seeing them through Christ? Or are we seeing them through what the world around us is telling and proclaiming? And let's just rest in the fact that as Paul looks to this girl and says, in the name of Jesus, you're free from that. Man, in the name of Jesus, we're free. We're free. So in our freedom, Let's begin to work this out so that we're totally free. I love what um, John Piper has to say on, on one of these things where he, John Piper, he, when it comes to like spiritual disciplines, he does some things that are unique. Um, 
but like he's never had a TV in his house, and I'm not like prescribing that um, because for him, he says it's not because I've I've never had a TV, not because I'm I'm like holier, but it's because I know the limit of my addictions. He's like, if I had a TV in my house, I'm going to be on it all the time because I'm so entertained. And so for that, it's like well, when it comes to looking out at our at the things that grab us and pull us in. Do we know ourselves enough to know the limit of our addictions to then be able to rightfully steward? So that's all I'm asking is let's, let's begin to dive into our kind of rule of life, if you will, throughout the week. What, what is it that is owning our time, owning our resources, owning our money, owning our affections? And are we seeing those things through the lens of Christ? Because what we're also saying is, we're not saying do away with. We're just saying steward rightly so that God is glorified with those things and that you receive joy in those things. That you're free from money to be able to spend money and use money as an investment. Whether that's in the lives of others or in your future and your grandchildren. I mean, that's Proverbs. So are we investing all of the resources that God has given us or are we enslaved? Are we enslaved to them? That's up for you to figure it out. And that's up for us to, to also be able to willingly come as they did in Ephesus collectively. And if there's something that like we've got to get away with this thing, we, we've got to do away with this, are we willing to come and confess those things and literally burn them, get rid of them? Let's do that in community. Let's talk about that this week in our groups what does it look like? And I'm hijacking the questions. I don't know if y'all have done them or not yet. But like, what does that look like to talk about? Hey, here's some things that I'm really struggling with that I'm putting some extra time into that I think are actually robbing me of joy, robbing me of treasuring Jesus. So how can I begin to kind of flesh that out? What does that look like for me? How can I, do you have any advice for me? Let's be the church to one another. Let's encourage one another and exhort one another. And as it says in Proverbs Let's be a faithful friend by rebuking each other because kiss comes from the deceit of the enemy. Like, let's not just kiss each other. Oh, you're doing great with your finances. Oh, you're doing great with your five hours a night on Netflix. It's, it's, totally, it's totally cool to binge things. I do it all the time as well. Like, let's not go there. Let's actually offer correction. And let's press into one another. Because we're after each other's joy. Not just validation. We're after each other's joy. Let's be that for one another. Let's help each other receive this truth today of what the power of the gospel can do when we're enslaved to something that we cannot control. We cannot control. Band, go ahead and come on up. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of the freedom that is found in your gospel. It's good news. We are enslaved to sin. We are enslaved to evil, to death. And through your son, Jesus Christ, he came to bring freedom to those who were captive. He came to free us As Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
no condemnation. Freedom. Total freedom. Freedom to say yes to you and no to sin. Freedom to say yes to obedience to the scriptures. This isn't a freedom that just says, yeah, we can go and do anything. No, that's a posture that says, I don't know Jesus. But a freedom to truly obey you through your word and that these are commands that you give to us that are not heavy-handed but are leading us to life, true life, life abundant. <coughs> life in understanding grace. That's what we want. We want to understand grace. We want to grow in the depths of grace. So Lord, lavish us with this grace. Lavish us with the power strengthen our faith to be able to say no to those things that entangle us and enslave us and allow us to be able to say yes to the name of Jesus Christ so that through him we can rightly place creator and creation. That we will worship creator and not creation. And the beauty in all of that is we still get to enjoy both. It's just God gets the glory for it. So Father, lead us in that. Empower us with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, right now in our hearts and in our minds, make this truth come alive within us. Help us understand it. For those who are intellectual, help us understand it in our intellect. For those who are spiritual, help us understand it within our spirituality. Those who are emotional, help us understand it in our emotions. Holy Spirit, just bring it within us and make it come alive. Help us know your gospel. And where we don't believe, help our unbelief. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to communion... Let it be the continuation of what we celebrated last week. Easter round two. Man, he broke his body. He shed his blood. He became a slave to sin so that we would be freed from that sin and become slaves to Christ. Purchased by his breaking of his body and shedding of his blood. And through this illustration, man, he invites us to play. He invites us to play in the backyard of God's creation, rightly seeing him as creator. So let's continue to worship him as we break the body, bread, and as we drink the cup, the shedding of his blood. Let's worship him in this time.
Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at